is episode 160 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, joined today by Brad Ford, Paul Noonan, and Ryan Top. How are we uh, feeling about the Rays going to the World Series slash the uh, Astros not? On the one hand, good that the <laughs> cheaters aren't going to win. But on the other hand, like, you know, I, I wanted the lack of legitimacy for the expanded playoffs going forward. And now that dream is dashed. So um, good, good for the Rays. Nice to see them get some success for running a, a good good solid team for a long time but uh i'm sad that the astros dream died it would have been so fun to see the loser the losing record cheaters get all the way to the world series that was steve's take too so you and steve have the same take he was yeah, talking I'm about like, that and i'm like hmm hmm questionable i i'm very glad that the astros are gone the problem right now is we're about to have a 1v1 seed in the yep. or 1v2 seed in the playoffs mm-hmm. which now supports how everything good this playoff system yeah. is for the disaster rob manfred yeah. so it's everything i didn't want to happen i wanted 8v8 no like lowest viewership ever and rob well you're manfred getting that lowest. that's the thing you're still gonna get that with the race so it's like the worst of all worlds <laughs> it, well not i don't know if it's the braves you still have a huge view i mean the braves and dodgers both have huge viewerships so it, yeah. the braves is probably better because they have the larger national fan base right I, I, yeah which is do we still have superstation braves fans is that a thing i mean i imagine a lot of those people had to have carried over from i guess i mean calcaterra is one of those right Oh, yeah, he is. That's true. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm just sad that we're not going to have uh, Rob Madford have to get the, quote, hunk of metal to the Astros. That would have been fantastic. It would have been just amazing. What a moment. One of my favorite parts of that was John Heyman's, like, 18 tweet thing where he was trying to get the sentiment just right, where he's like, oh, it's a shame not to see Dusty Baker get his chance at the World Series. He's a good guy who deserves it. But the cheaters don't deserve to go to the World Series, but there's good guys on the cheaters side who deserve it. The World Series and go with the Braves and the top team will be and uh-huh. he just like crumbled it was that's like, a, yeah it's a it's a fine needle the thread that john was trying there and, <laughs> yeah that's not really john Heyman's uh forte yeah nope. just log off my guy <laughs> not my guy <laughs> gotta keep the access going yeah so uh yeah we'll see who uh wins between the dodgers and braves we're recording that before that game seven uh either way i guess go race i don't know i i don't know who to cheer for but nobody's well, gonna watch I, anyway i I don't mind if any of these three win, really. I like the race. It's an organization that has been run for well for a long time. It gives me hope as a Brewers fan that just well-run baseball teams can eventually win World Series. There, Then you have the the Braves, who are just a fun, young, athletic team. And then I really would like City Kershaw get a ring before he retires. Yeah, on the other hand, the Braves are goddamn traitors, so um, screw them forever. <laughs> <laughs> Without Brian McCann, I can't hate them too much. <laughs> yeah. So either we're going to have a, a first-time winner in the Rays or a couple of teams who haven't won in forever. So, yeah, I guess it's it's better than the Yankees. We'll take that. So uh, we're going to be doing our big review of the Brewers 2020 season this week. But first, reminder, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know the great beers like Block Party and the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Next time you're in Madison, stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard. That's on the east side of town. They've actually got a deal going this month in October, where if you pick up a growler of their October Oktoberfest beer, you also get two Carbon 4 pint glasses for free. 
You can also get 20% off on their online store if you just use our promo code. That's MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. For just $5 a month, our Ball and Glove and Above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad, as well as Paul's reporting as eligible mini pods. You get a preview of the Packers game every week. And Paul, do you have that list of big winners that we've got for our t-shirt contest, which you're actually wearing I today? I am. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I do have the list. Uh, everybody has been notified and very promptly got back to me with addresses. So thanks for that. Your five winners were uh, Andrew Jasmer, Jeffrey Emenecker, Scott Meskin, Aaron Savage, and Eric Cumming. So guys, thanks for supporting us and thanks for playing. And uh, I hope you enjoy the merch. Also, I, I may after or sometime in November, um, have something similar to do with bobbleheads. So just uh, if you were thinking of unsubscribing, don't do that. Um, there'll be one more, at least one more giveaway soon. So we're going to have to keep doing giveaways about yeah. <laughs> ripping on Rob until like the cows come home just to <laughs> yep. make sure we don't lose our subs who want these prizes. Indeed. As long as I keep getting free swag, I'll keep doing it. I don't know. People keep sending me things for some reason. So um <laughs> Nice. So yeah. yeah, and and even though even if you didn't uh, win one of those T-shirts, you can still probably pick one up over at uh, breakingtea.com. Yep. Yeah. Um, at Acme uh, via the Acme Packing Company link or Football Outsider store. They're both you can get it at either place in either store. So again, thank you to Football Outsiders for being such good sports about this as well. <laughs> and remember, dorks value only analytics. That right? they do. Yep. Okay. Speaking of the analytics, none of them were really good for the Brewers this year. Kind of talked about that in the last few weeks here. Yeah, we, we wanted to do our, our big season-long uh, review. Luckily for us, <laughs> there's only two months to cover instead of like five or six. So hopefully it's a little bit easier than a standard review. Uh, unfortunately, there wasn't a whole lot of good to talk about. The Brewers finished under 500. It was actually the first time since 2016, which kind of took me by surprise. So the Brewers have had a nice little run going on here. They did make the playoffs for the third year in a row in Manfred's sham of a system. Uh, that's a first <laughs> franchise history. Kind of backed in there at the end, but we'll we'll still hang the banner anyway. So I guess let's let's start at the beginning. July, August finally got underway. You know, we had like three months of talking about when they're going to actually play games. They played a handful of them. Things looked great. And then Lorenzo Cain opted out after six games. So right away. Go to hell, Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Entirely their fault. Right away. Yeah, we're we're facing a disruption with COVID and the Cardinals kind of, you know, their situation costing the Brewers their first opening weekend and all that stuff. And ultimately kind of convinced Lorenzo Cain to opt out after he started the year six for 18. Looked good and healthy. So I guess, was this really like the first bad thing to go wrong this year? And, and just how disruptive was it losing Lorenzo Cain right away, Ryan? Yeah, it's I think it's really big. I think losing the presence day in, day out in the clubhouse might even be the biggest thing, regardless of how he was going to perform yep. on the field. But he was off to a pretty decent start. And I think that there's something to be said, too, for having a guy who has that veteran approach. He is a, a very savvy batter. And you want guys like that up at the top of the lineup to kind of show the way you want a guy who. This was kind of the Johnny Damon thing for the longest time, even though people think Johnny Damon was a huge walker. He really wasn't. The thing that Johnny Damon did was he saw a lot of pitches. He would follow a lot of pitches off. He would work deep counts and then would have 
a, a fairly high batting average and some power and when he was younger ability to steal but you want a guy like that at the top of your lineup and Lorenzo Cain in his especially once he came over to the Brewers really transformed into, into that sort of hitter even in 2019 he was still showing more plate discipline and and all of that than he had earlier in his career it just was accompanied by a drop in the batting average and the other numbers so I think losing out on that was impactful as well and obviously the defense yeah I, I don't think you can really understate it I think it was enormous for for all of those reasons and also just they they ended up being so poor on offense um, aside from the off the field stuff where Kane is reported to be just a great clubhouse guy leader etc he was one of the guys that was hitting one of the only guys who hit all year in his little small sample size and between intangibles and tangible things that he does on the field, just the knock-on effects were gigantic. And having to play just a lesser player, and like I know Ben Gamble started fine. They just never had another good outfield presence. Um, it was always just shuffling random weirdos in there once in a while. A lot of Mark Mathias playing, a lot of Ben Gamble playing, Ryan Braun playing when he was healthy, but you know that's not that often. Just both a huge bummer and just a huge blow to their chances too so um it's the cardinals again just being evil villain jerks and it, it really kind of did in the season to some extent that ruined their first homestand takes lorenzo kane away it is a double whammy in a big way and then you have those four days off because you had the off day going into the series you end up with a pretty substantial layoff you end up I was hoping, I know we're about to get into the struggles, but I was hoping Yelich was going to really break out in his return to Miller Park. But then it, I think that delay in playing more games deflated everyone, players included. And then you lose an energy source in Lorenzo Kane. I talked about how the Brewers really, when you're on the field, looked like they had less energy. I think it's because the social distancing practices that kind of go in, you can't really feed off each other like this clubhouse is used to. So you have two years of guys who are used to getting their energy from each other and going to the plate all cheered up. You take off one of those guys who really keeps morale high and the energy going. That's now removed because of the Cardinals. And you had the social distancing practices that keep guys like Brent Suter out of the out of the dugout after he finishes a pitching appearance and you just lose that energy that the Brewers have been known for over the last two years and suddenly you have this dry kind of boring group that looks like they're doing everything with a little bit of low energy and I wonder how much of that would have changed had Lorenzo Cain been able to play the entire season and not had the scare of Yadi Molina's irresponsibility I I'm always going to just blame him 100%. Like, of all the Cardinals, I just put the most blame on him. He did put that tweet into the world, so he, he's right. kind of bringing it on himself. I, I also blame Tony Larusa for instilling these principles in Yadi Molina, so he also gets blamed. <laughs> he's the one who set Yadi Molina up to get COVID, so it's, it's also his fault. And I can't believe he might be a manager in baseball again, and I'll have to hate a team so much more. Uh, the White Sox. <laughs> Such a terrible idea. I like but the it, White Sox. Like, why do they got to ruin it for me? They're a fun yeah. team to watch. They're nearby. Why do you got to ruin it for me? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a bunch of outspoken, young, energetic people. You know what they need? Tony LaRusso. Tony LaRusso. <laughs> a guy like, to ruin it all. <laughs> yeah. And so then I think get, to be drunk, falling asleep at a red light. Yeah, I, th I think uh, Brad's point about kind of this whole stop and start feeling to, I mean, 
especially that first week, but I think the season overall too, because, you know, these guys were sitting around for two months, just trying to figure out when they were going to play, finally show up to camp in July. And you had some guys who just never looked comfortable during that. And I think Christian Yelich was one of those guys where even in summer camp, he was off to a slow start. And whether you want to blame recovering from the, the injury or any gun shyness he may have had, or just kind of being rusty, whatever the reason, you know, those, those first six games that Lorenzo Cain were playing was a good thing he was hitting because Christian Yelich wasn't, you know, now he's, we, we all have the one for 27 burned into our heads from yep. uh, the, the first week or so of the season. And he never really recovered from there. And he's a guy where if the Brewers were going to make some noise this year, and we've seen it in like the last couple of seasons too, it, if the Brewers offense is any good at all, it's because Christian Yelich is playing like Barry Bonds light. Right. So I guess, Paul, does this kind of show the risks of the, so to speak, like stars and scrubs lineup? Well, definitely so, especially if your stars are less than sure things and not Christian Yelich, I guess, going into the season, probably as sure things you can. I do wonder if we'll kind of be back to normal next year with just a more normal flow of the season and normal preseason and things like that. But, you know, a lot of their other stars are you know, Ryan Braun getting kind of old um, and, you know, has right. been injured a lot lately. Uh, Keston Hira, you know, you're, you're still counting on to break out a little bit more. Then you're counting on your scrubs kind of a lot to, you know, at least have a few breakthrough. So it's, yeah, it does show that it's risky. Uh, I Like I've said before on the pod, I don't necessarily think that this will dissuade them from doing it. Um, right. The Brewers understand that when you do go to the well of guys hoping to have, you know, lucky seasons, bounce back seasons, whatever, that occasionally you're going to get this. And more than a few are not going to work out. There's an upside, too, that sometimes the, a lot of them work out, and they've had that in the past. But, yeah, this season on offense especially is the, the quintessential, like, well, your star's disappointed. Some of your older stars who are... Um, getting up there and may never be good again, disappointed. Your younger guys didn't break out maybe as much as you thought. And you got these randos who didn't really work out. Uh, yeah, this is what can happen. Sometimes you have the worst offense in the league when you when you go that route, especially over a two-month sample too, yeah. right? I think that what this really points to, more than the, the fault of the Stars and Scrubs as a concept, is the fact that they didn't get enough stars coming out mm-hmm. of the last rebuild. And... You can kind of look at that a couple different ways. You can say, well, the guys they traded away have, by and large, not turned into stars. They have not lost out on on guys who've turned into stars. Yes, your random G-Man Choi and Jesus Aguilar has been fine. You have you have guys that have been solid. There's a certain trade to San Diego that might... Yeah. <laughs> well, and that, that one... But we still have to see how that exactly plays out yes. over time because... Uh, Luis Urias could still end up being the best long-term player in that deal. So we'll just, we'll have to see. Yeah. Yeah. So it, the development paths are, are strange and it's always weird to look at a trade, you know, immediately. And then uh, a year later, and then five years later, you can see very different things at those various points in time. So they didn't have, especially on the lineup side of things, they've, they've done a great job building pitching depth. There's nothing really, so this this is purely contained to the hitting side of things, but mm-hmm. they didn't really develop guys. And you think about like Corey Ray. Corey Ray is a top five draft pick. And I think that when you take a guy like that, you're expecting him to be a at least good, solid regular by now. <laughs> if you're taking a guy out of college with the fifth overall pick, 
Louisville was double A, right? That was the running joke at the time. It's like, yeah, <laughs> ACC baseball is double A level. He's going to be great. And yeah. yeah, and it just it it hasn't come to fruition. And they've had some other snags, though. They do seem to have a, a group now moving up behind with Feliciano and uh, and Terang and hopefully Garrett Mitchell that hopefully this group will will come around. And Keston Hero is huge in this whole thing. They really needed Keston Hero to be the, you know, 142 WRC plus guy that he was in 2019 and not the version that they got this year. And you can mm-hmm. you can point to Pakoda for being skeptical on him and yep. have that raise a lot of concerns. I still think that he's probably going to be a lot better than what we saw this year. He will make the adjustments that he needs to make. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Probably. But I don't know. I don't know what else they can really do. Like what's the alternative to the stars and scrubs thing that they're doing here. Did you want to sign Nick Castellanos and, uh, and Mike Moustakis for uh, four years and 65 million each? Like, was that a thing? Cause I, that, that holds very little appeal to me in terms of how to build this team for the long run. So I I don't yeah. know. I don't know what the, the alternatives to the stars and scrubs approach really were other than going back in time and getting more hitting prospects that can work their way up by this point in time. And that's, mm-hmm. you need the Cardinals hard. to give you Randy Arrows arena for free, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Cardinals, by the way, they've, yeah. they've done some dumb stuff lately that makes me happy. Yeah. Yes, All they have. There. And it's been enjoyable. Dude, by the way, just their pitching was so good. And I, yeah, I don't want to give that Moose contract to Moose. That's a lot of money and a lot of time for an old guy. But like another average batter two would have made this team a lot better. So it's not like yeah. there was no way to, you know, improve drastically with how good their pitching was. They only really needed like three runs a game most of the time. Right. So um, it, it's one of those things where a small, maybe a medium investment would have paid off quite a bit. But how do you get that guy? Like what's, what's the path to getting that guy? Didn't we feel they made that investment? Like we thought that Avi was a, that's a boom, true. A yeah. boom player who, but we knew he like based on his history that he was at least an average producer. We knew uh, Omar Narvaez it was an assumed fact that he was going to hit well and catch bad. And we didn't get that. Also so true. We, also true. We felt going in that aside from the, I I know Paul was the most skeptical among us for good reason of the scrubs portion of it, that they did get some middling players in there that were going to support the higher impact bats, which were the Renzo Kane, Christian Yelich, Keston Hira, and perhaps Ryan Braun. We knew that was a risk because age makes yeah. runes of us all. So, <laughs> but by the way, fun fact on Omar and uh, Avi, they both finished with higher on base percentages than slugging percentages, which is um, not what you exactly want. what not, we anticipated. Not, not what you want. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it wasn't because they were putting up 500 on base percentages. No, it was not. It was <laughs> not. See, completely different players, same results. It chose to show you that Vans analytics are dumb. Never trust them. No kidding. Please <laughs> always trust them. <laughs> Two degrees at 130 miles per hour, as we talked about for three weeks now. (laughs) We see Dusty Baker get on on uh, Paul's side on that too, or he's like, we don't we don't want hard hit outs. You know, we want hard hit hits. So uh, that was part of the Astros' problem. And I mean, not to harp on the San Diego trade at all, but like you know, granted, Trent Grisham is not a superstar player. He's probably not going to be. Uh, I think 
for all the hand-wringing about the trade, it, his stat line is actually kind of lower than what I expected, but uh, he ended up hitting 251, 352, 456 this year. That's an 808 OPS, 122 OPS plus. So very solid. And although maybe like lower than I had personally expected considering, you know, every time he homered, Brewer's Twitter knew about it. So <laughs> it felt like he was doing I, I, a lot better about true. that. But I think the thing that people weren't talking about enough, and maybe didn't matter with the results this team ended up getting, where Zach Davies had a phenomenal season. He did. Yeah. And uh, he's a perfect, perfect pitcher for that baseball part, too. Yeah, it would have been really nice to have that stat line after Burns and Woodruff. Unfortunately, I still think pitching lab can fix Eric Lauer. They obviously want him to throw his cutter and he hates that idea. So they have to figure out a way to get him to do it well and make it work. Yeah. So that's something that they need to go into and fix. But I think there's time there and you have a cheaper pitcher now instead of a more expensive one. That's their process, right? They turn expensive players who are okay into cheaper players who are okay. And that's how they maintain longevity in, of the system. And then you keep the star players along when they come. Yep. Um, I also do not, I've said this time and time again, I'm pretty sure I've said it on the pod. I think tr- based on everything, I have a weird connection to, or a weird intel for Trent Grisham. Like I have gotten the news about him like coming up and stuff like that all before everyone else because I have some weird tie to, uh, that gets me that news. And based on all that I've heard is he was a fairly broken man after his air in the wild card game. And I think without a change of scenery, he was going to struggle hard this season. I think that change of scenery ended up being very healthy for him. And we, I don't think the brewers get the player that he was this year. Yeah. Especially there was no guaranteed roster spot for him either. I guess. Right. I, I mean, especially well, the obvious signing came after the trade, didn't it? Yeah. I, I'm getting yes. my timeline. Yeah, but even even before that, you know, I was listening to the uh, season recap pod from last year before we went on here. And, you know, there a lot of the guy, you know, Ryan and, and the rest of you talked about, like, there's not really, he was the fourth outfielder, like, short of Ryan Braun playing a whole lot of first base. There wasn't really a spot for him either, so. Yeah, the DH uh, thing significantly lessens that i mean it would have yeah they, but you didn't but know they, at didn't, the time. they didn't know they when didn't they made that trade no they didn't know any of that and they probably did have what a very good feel on what brad is talking about that you know he was really broken and would have benefited from a change of scenery and apparently did so yeah there are things you can't control for it doesn't it's yep. not always going to work in your location sometimes a guy needs to be traded you know for developmental reasons sometimes a guy needs a trade to be able to hear new voices say Mm -hmm. maybe the same thing to him that like okay i guess i need to do this and and it it wakes a player up to needing to make changes so right or it's said in a way that makes it click that it didn't before or whatever you know yeah we all learn differently so who who knows how that would have worked out and i think that's a good point that we can't assume that Grisham's, you know, 122 OPS plus, which would have led the Brewers this year, would have happened if he was still a Brewer too. So uh, I, I also hate this is going on a side rant, but I hate that people blamed that on him because actually I think that air is the only reason we got out of that inning. Yeah, it keeps that run from scoring, but I think Josh Hader keeps getting lit up. And if you don't end up catching that air ends up catching a player between second and third and you get out of the inning because he <laughs> yeah. plays the ball bad and they get a lucky out with uh, uh, I Josh Hader was not getting lit up. Go watch those. I mean, 
that that Zimmerman he was, hit was uh, he initially wasn't getting lit up, and then he started getting lit up. I mean, it was like the last two hitters who did. He gave up like a the soft line drive, like that was you know it's not like some. But he wasn't getting out of that inning. Eh, I don't know. I, I we'll, didn't we'll go back and never watch it know. Again, but All right. yeah. <laughs> back to twenty twenty. I suppose speaking of getting lit up, although that maybe that's a little harsh. Uh, the Brewers were outscored one thirty five to one eleven in that first month of the year. Part of that, you know, is that suffering offense and the the pitching hadn't really kind of rounded into what it would become in September either. And the last month of the year, that the pitching is really what even had the Brewers in the playoff picture to begin with. They split that month at 13 and 13 because of course everything about this year <laughs> is perfectly split down the middle even stevens even stevens so they actually uh had a positive run differential in september but it wasn't because the offense was any better they actually scored 10 fewer runs but they only allowed 112 so you know we've talked a lot about the pitching but i not to keep harping on the offense but the offense was bad in july and august it was somehow even worse in uh september like Keston here specifically, I pulled these numbers just because he was a constant source of frustration. You guys already mentioned that. But in September, he actually, Brad's talked about this before, like why hadn't they benched him? It got to the point where it was so bad they had to. He was hitting, he hit 186 in uh, September, on base only 283, slugging only 384. And that's, you know, we thought Pakoda was really down on him for projecting him to hit 254 317 or whatever it was and he ended up being even worse than that so <laughs> i guess brad you've been the the ardent defender of keston Hira all along i are you concerned with just how bad he looked this year do you think he can turn that around i mean what yeah a, a little bit yeah i i think the strikeouts and struggles at the plate with the same thing over and over again is always confusing but we've also seen players try to get out of it I do think the Brewers probably have to make a change at hitting coach, and that might bring in someone new that we were just talking about, that perspective that we haven't really gotten, that he maybe hasn't gotten before to kind of help fix that. The strikeouts are obviously problematic. He's always been that type of player, and I think it comes from the mentality of, my bat's so good, if I just swing at everything, I'll make more contact than I don't, and then the right. contact will probably end up in good results. He and obviously, the bat speed, right? Yeah. Like, right. Obviously, that ended up not being successful this year. I think based on his track record, he's a much better player than this. I, I'm still going to defend him because it was a weird season. I mean, we saw lower performances from Christian Yelich. We saw worse performances from Cody Bellinger, from a lot of MVP-type candidates this year who have led the league in with dominant bats were underperforming this year. And I don't think anyone in baseball thinks that that's going to be a consistent change. So as we talked about on the podcast before, it's really hard to evaluate. The thing for Hira is this is half his career stat line. Mm -hmm. He goes from one year of being fantastic and about the same sample size to another year of being pretty bad, blatantly bad. And especially when the team was obviously relying on him to be successful in order for them to have success. That's negative. Um, but also, I think it can't be understated how much this team obviously relies on Christian Yelich, but he also had an awful September too. He went from his 244, 937 OPS in August to 217 batting average with a 789 OPS in September. Mm -hmm. Those two players falling off is not something that can happen at this team have offensive success. It just cannot, period. 
So for those two to be awful is something that is going to doom this roster. And one of them had to fix it and get it going. I am pretty confident based on track record that Christian Yelich will fix it, but it is worrying that what if the league has figured out Hira and he just can't overcome the challenges that he's facing right now. Well, so here's here's the thing about that. And I feel good about Hira for a couple of reasons. First off, the power didn't disappear. This is not an Omar Narvaez situation. He sure. still hit 13 home runs this year. So there is still thunder in that bat. And he still was making hard contact at times. So you have a baseline to work with there. And his whole history of making good contact, he has been a guy who has adjusted and has hit every every level, everywhere he's gone. He has been a hitter. And I think that he will continue to make those adjustments and figure out a way to do this. And the other thing is what brings me more positivity for him is that there's an identifiable problem. We, we talked about it this year quite a bit that the high fastball has become a problem for him. Well, okay, now you have an offseason. Go figure that out. Go go to a hitting coach to help you fix this. There are there are plenty of people out there who know how to make adjustments and how to do things now that you can go. It doesn't even have to be within the Brewers. You can go outside of the team and figure out what adjustment do I need to make to be able to hit the high fastball and to give pitchers one less way to be able to get him out. Right. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because it with his strikeouts, it's not like he's chasing out of the zone. I think the more alarming thing for me personally was seeing him cut through those fastballs that were in the zone that yep. should have been crushed. And yeah, I guess, Paul, is there any hope that he fixes that? Like the misses in the zone? <laughs> that is worrying. Uh, it, I think the one thing you just fall back on is uh, if you if you just sort of ignore the, the high fastball problem, just take take out all fi- high fastballs from from his sample size for the year. Yeah, he would swing through things right down the middle every once in a while, but he made enough good contact on just everything that it's not that concerning. It looks uglier than it is. And I I suspect that that whiffing on fastballs down the middle is related to his high fastball problem and um, trying to identify and see and work with those pitches and just being messed up. I mean, he certainly knows what his problems are. And, you know, a high fastball and a down-the-middle fastball, to some extent, don't look that different. So I, I suspect that's all part of working through the process and not just, like, him not being able to recognize pitches at all. So I, I do think – I agree with Ryan. I think he has a problem that you could get figured out. And he has made good contact in the past. I do always worry about that Picota profile on the back of my head, which does see his strikeouts as worrying. But, you know, once you have something that you can diagnose and fix and tell a guy, you know, say, stop swinging at those pitches – that's fine. You can work with that. Like I, I remember Corey Hart being somewhat similar with breaking balls. Like just don't swing at them and you'll be fine. And yeah, uh, <laughs> don't swing at them forehead. And it was that slider. Yep. And then he yeah, got the eye surgery. Normally. I remember the conversation. It's like the one time LASIK has actually truly helped someone ever <laughs> because not, uh, not ever, yep. but in baseball. It, I remember there was a conversation where he's like, yeah, I was talking to Prince and I was like, oh man, I see a dot when a slider's coming. He's like, you've never seen the dot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Have I, have I, have I gone into my Yelich theory on the podcast yet? No, no, but, no go for it. All right. So Yelich, the Yelich is, has weird platoon splits this year. He actually destroyed lefties. Uh, he hit them really, really hard. And when he, he's facing a left-handed pitcher, he, he really does turn into more of a spray hitter, which is kind of how he grew up batting as an all fields guy. And I think what really turned him into the MVP 
is sort of the the elevate the ball, the, the new approach against opposite side pitching, where he would crush a lot of his, uh, he would pull the ball more, hit a lot of home runs off of righties. I th- uh, he, when he hurt himself last year, hitting the ball into his kneecap, it was off a righty and it was turning on a pitch too much. And I think he is skittish about overpulling the ball off of righties. Basically, his right-handed approach was kind of messed up by that one play. I think that that's mental for him. And until he can move past that, he might continue to struggle against um, opposite side pitching, which is weird. But if you if you kind of watch his swings, it looks like he is often a little bit late. It looks like mm-hmm. he is not getting his hands through the zone and around quite as much as he used to. And I do think that there's a little bit of fear there for him uh, on just that very weird freakish injury that he did to himself. So, yeah, um, I think that's all about fixing that. I wonder if maybe going back and taking a step towards what he was before against righties where he was more of the spray hitter against both yeah, sides. It might not be a bad idea. If he did that, maybe that would help kind of get him through that. And then he could get back to the elevate and celebrate a little bit down the line after that. Yeah. And I, that was something I'd brought up too, is you, when you look at his issues is he already has a somewhat unconventional approach at the plate and his mechanics are a little bit odd, but they're very successful. Mm-hmm. When you looked at it, the timing just seemed very off compared to what he said in the past. It did. Yeah, whether it was when he got that foot down or when he started his swing or whatever. Yeah, I think I think Paul's onto something. Uh, even if it's not just the psychological thing, I, just like the timing was all screwed up all year long, and that never really got fixed. Yeah, he uh, was another it, guy who, when he got a, a fat pitch in the zone that you expected him to hammer. Yeah, he was doing it at a much lower rate this time than he was in the past. Like, and again, Yelich, we talk about like all the the downsides of this. Yelich did still hit for, you know, 12 home runs like he still did hit at a reasonable level. So there's it's not like there's not a lot to work with there. There is. It's just that, like Paul said, there was there was some weirdness in his profile this year that he's going to need to get ironed out. Yep. He also, especially before September, had a lot of I guess the new term for it will be red ink when you're looking at baseball savant. He was very, very high in a lot of those statistics that you look at when you talk about great power hitters. Yeah, he was he's still up there with exit veto and all that when he did make contact, right? Which right. kind of made everything even more frustrating. After his awful yep. September, his expected batting average went down quite a bit. But when you were talking about what he was doing in the first half of the season, everything on there was red. Versus now, it's you still have very high exit velo you still have very high walk rate and hard hit rate yep but you're now the supporting statistics are back down to like the expected batting average was only 250 the expect her the woba was 337 so those uh her expected woba was 365 so there's things that have gone down but also those all point or there's things that still point in that analytics side that point to even this quote-unquote bad yelich should have performed at a much higher rate than he did. We should have gotten a different bad Yelich that was still productive, just not in the way we would have wanted from a former MVP. Yeah. And who knows, with another two months of season, maybe that would have turned around too. It's it's one of those things where it's just really hard to say based on 60 games. So. I, I also wonder with the... The Brewers obviously were one of the teams taking the COVID restrictions incredibly seriously. Mm-hmm. Like Craig Council made that a point from the beginning. So I wonder how much time they were putting into the work that they had off the field than they would on a normal basis. Were they limiting 
that like closed contact in the batting cage on the field that you normally would, where you only allowed to go to the field and do that? If so, do you really have the extended time that you would normally have because, you know, you need to get the infield work and batting practice for everyone else? There's a lot of variables that I wonder that may have truly affected this more than we give them credit for in terms of what those restrictions did more so than me talking about the character but in terms of the actual level of workload that players could put in because there definitely was restrictions yeah. on how long they could be at the ballpark period well we also know that there were changes in what kind of video players could use that became yep. a big deal with javi Baez talking about that couldn't watch video in the game yeah yeah I think couldn't that, watch video that's in a big game. thing for yelich too yeah yeah, so but. we don't we don't know. We're going to have to see kind of how those things play out over time yep. to, to get a better idea. But I'm very inclined. Remember, I kept saying I will not draw sweeping conclusions from a 60 game season. <laughs> like, yep. I, I right. think we kind of in a way we, we can take and use what we're seeing from this year to somewhat inform what we're thinking. But don't overplay it because there's just too much crazy bullshit with 2020 to like be able to draw any really firm conclusions about what a player is and what a player isn't. Exactly. There were, there were a lot of weird things that happened, a lot of adjustments that organizations and players had to make. And I'm not going to assume that a 296 career hitter with a 488 career slugging is a 205 hitter with a 430 slugging. That is just not what I'm going to take from that. I'm going to trust history versus the oddest season in history since the strike season. <laughs> Probably more odd than that. Really, it's the oddest season it. in history. Yeah, total outlier. Yeah, but I yeah. think we we've got some questions on that too. But before we get to the questions, real quick, I want to do some uh, team awards. Basically, you know, MVPs, that kind of thing. So, I guess first up, we we've spent a half hour plus trashing the offense, taking out everybody who is bad. Who's your offensive MVP, Brad? Uh, I guess Jed Jerko. Yikes. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Vogelbach, I would put up there too, but he only had like eight games. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he had more than that, but it still wasn't enough right. to contribute to that. So, yeah, Jed Jerko. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go way off the board here. And, oh, wait, no, there's no way to go off the board here. Yeah, it's, it's Jerko because <laughs> he had double the plate appearances of Vogelbach. So, like, I don't care. I'm still going with Vogelbach. <laughs> 19 like, games, 67 plate appearances. Your I mean, when you're game. looking at him, right, like that, I should let Paul defend his own case, but he still ended up tying Jerko and War in substantially less time. Yeah. And he was super important to getting them into the playoffs. Um, you know, they actually had a few decent Augusts from people. And when you got later or whatever, when he got later into the season, he was the only one hitting. Like they, they might not win any games down the stretch without him. <laughs> so I, he was super important to the offense. They needed some guy to do something, and he was that guy. So I, I vote for Vogelbach. He, it, like everybody stopped hitting except him. <laughs> you want to hear something crazy about Vogelbach? Okay, so he had a 417 BABIP with the Brewers, and uh, his career BABIP is 237. His career major okay. league BAPIP is 237, <laughs> which if you've seen him play, it shouldn't really surprise you. He was he was doing some stuff that like when our time with him, that that slapping the ball the other way. That he was. Like, yeah, he, I he, did not expect him to be a single that's hitter the thing. slapping he, the other way. He earned that BAPIP like he was hitting against the shift and showing good back control. But I wouldn't necessarily expect that to continue is the point. Like that's not anything in his profile he hold on yeah. his his time with the brewers this year those 67 plate appearances he had a 
he had uh, during that time he had the 417 BABIP. His BABIP for the season, though, when you take into account his time with the two other teams, is yep. 237. All right. Oh, so career norms. We're it's fine. the career norm. So that was, <laughs> I mean, you think of how bad he must have been before. He he had to have just been, I mean, if you look at the numbers, he was. He was, he was, he was bad. Yeah. It's made twice, but yeah. I think the thing when you look at Vogelbach, though, is like we have a lot of articulation about why that changed. He came in and he said, like, hey, I actually was this guy who tried to take it all over. Then I hit 30 home runs and I was like, hot damn, I can hit more home runs. <laughs> and he got really excited about it and he started trying to hit more home runs. So then his numbers went exponentially down yep. then when he was like oh this season's also going horribly he talked about he's like i needed to get back to that take i was going where i'm not purposely swinging for power aside, i'm swinging as a hitter and we did see success after he talked about that change so aside from all that this was an award for what he did not what he's going to do in the future i was gonna say yeah none of us is, none of us think happened, he's an all-star going forward and i do uh, but that's fine that's except, <laughs> except james he does but. he's also the most likely 2021 adrian hauser right <laughs> Like, like uh, guy who performed in, in well like, the year before, but is going yeah. to be like a, a burden on the team next year. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah, I suppose. Like Travis Shaw. I mean, I mean, yeah, Jed Durko no might be that. Isn't Jed Durko that guy? He could be. Most likely, no. He only look at his history, Paul. This is what we taught. We warned you that he was going to be MVP. His history is fine. He had sure. one bad season filled with injuries. My computer keeps seizing up, so I don't have stats in front of me. But wasn't his on base percentage still quite terrible? It wasn't it was, all power. It was, it was, in uh, twenty in twenty nineteen, it was two forty eight. Before that, he had three forty six, three forty one, and then a three oh six. But he uh -huh. had a WRC plus over one hundred for three consecutive seasons before joining the Brewers. That that's fine. I just think that that's not a great trajectory for a guy. No. That's all. He also all right. wasn't. I mean. He also wasn't that – if he's that guy in Christian Yelich and Keston here perform, that's a great addition to the team. If he's pre-injury Cardinals, Jerko, that's I mean, fine. Yeah, that's why I was, it's I just was, well, we're looking yeah. at him as the offensive MVP. That's what's right. problematic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'd, I'd like that, that addition actually in the offseason as like a solid supporting piece for that <laughs> exact reason. I did not expect him to uh, – be our offensive team MVP, especially considering <laughs> he was a lefty hitting specialist for the first half of the season. And then it, look what happened. Yeah. He, I truly underestimated how slow that man is. <laughs> elite, elite snow slowness. Very, very yeah. Johnny Estrada-esque slowness. Very, he, I uh, still think he beats Johnny Estrada in a foot race, but yeah, it's uh, uh, probably the slowest man on the team since Johnny Estrada. Uh -huh. Which we've had some big boys he, on the team. Yeah. Did he bust an ankle at some point? Like JJ Hart? I don't understand because <laughs> he looks like he should be able to run faster than Dan Vogelbach. He <laughs> hey, to be fair, all my coaches when I played youth football in sprint drills would yell at me because at the time I was the skinniest person on the field and was the slowest person. So looks mean nothing, I mean, James. And I, yeah, have that no, I know that too. I was, I was the slow yep. kid too. It's fine. Um, all right. So we spent a lot of time talking about the hitting and not a whole lot talking about the pitching. So I guess who's your, your Brewer Cy Young, your pitching MVP. <laughs> I, I think you've got a couple choices here, Ryan. Who do you have? I'm going to go with Woodruff because he does have the innings advantage on Burns and was able to stay healthy through the full season as opposed to Burns who did miss at the end. It's a very close call. I, I could make a case either way between those two. Well, actually, you could also add. Devin. <laughs> yeah, I, I, give me Woodruff. I think that uh, 
what we saw was actually if you if you look at the peripherals and everything he did take a step forward this year to being that guy and I think people will kind of miss that his ERA did get down to 305 by the end of the year like mm-hmm. he, he had a good mm-hmm. run to end the year so if you look at a, a, a le- better than 11 strikeouts per nine and under it was 2.2 walks per nine those are ace level numbers those are really really sparkling numbers and he stayed healthy through the year so i'll give the nod to, to water we want to talk well, about ace level numbers how about a 17.67 K per nine? How about a 0.33 ARA supported by a 0.86 FIP? It's Devin freaking Williams. Oh my God. I just need to beat Paul. That's why I jumped in because I knew Paul was going to be on the same railroad track. And I'm like, I got to be Paul's first. On this yeah, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, holy crap. What a season he had. It, Literal it video was, game numbers. Yeah. Yeah. It was historically good. It, it and unfortunately, generally, uh, pitchers in the bullpen only get one season like this. So unfortunately, it happened in the dumb season. Uh, I think he'll be good continuing on, but I don't know if he could ever recreate a season like this in his career, especially with as much video as there is now with, about his change up and the advanced scouting that we have in the world today, and people being able to actually plan for it. So unfortunately we're probably never going to get a season like this and it was wasted in dumb season, but man, was it fun to watch. And he was the most enjoyable part of the Brewers all season. So he gets that Cy Young for me. Yeah. I feel a little bit not voting for Burns um, just because he was the closest to actually getting the Cy Young award. Like he was in that conversation, (laughs) but I, I, I too am going to go with Devin Williams who was just insane. Good. Like you don't get people this good at baseball in major league baseball very often. Um, who led the league in whiff rate and in lowest exit velocity on contact, I believe. Um, it, it's just insane how good he was. He was like the only thing, I mean, we've seen it twice in quick session, but since haters breakout, never seen anything like it, didn't think I'd seen anything like it again. <laughs> and here we have someone who has debatably had a better season, albeit in this stupid short season. So um, cool. give me, give me I- Devin all day. I think that's the amazing thing. Like did we, I also didn't think we were going to see a pitcher, especially one that organically came through the farm better than Hader. Mm. And then we yep. have someone who put up a better season than Josh Hader's already ridiculous seasons yep. as a reliever. Yeah. Is this the, the Brewers equivalent to Favre to Rogers? <laughs> uh, I hope not. Jeez, I hope it's be better. Terrible and depressing. <laughs> I, I think the Favre uh. to Rogers is the uh broad yellich more <laughs> yeah well yeah yeah, yeah. That, that works both had drug problems both uh yeah. <laughs> checks out but both were beloved by fan bases but maybe undeserving of the love <laughs> i mean far was definitely deserved more deserving than ryan braun but there were yeah. issues uh associations right. with guys who sat in hot tubs with underage women yeah there was that yeah yeah well Okay. You know, I I got to stick up for my guy, King Corbin here, if nobody else is going to take him, I mean, just the, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. It ended the year with a 211 ERA with the 203 FIP. So there you go. He was actually unlucky this year. His ERA should have been lower. <laughs> 13. Wait, does DRA support it? That's the important stat. My computer's seizing up too. So it, it's a bad day for computers. But yep. if you, one of you want to check on that, that's, that's fine. I can keep... Uh, 
rambling about him. The 216 ERA plus, which considering his ERA plus Ooh. last year was 51. Right. His... ERA was 281. Sorry, James. Uh, you lose well, the conversation. I, you lost so, the entire one. <laughs> Real quick. Well, I love DRA and I love all the work that Jonathan has put into it. For evaluating your pitcher on your team, it's not actually as good as what they produced um, in real life, in ERA, and normal stats on the mound. It's a good front office stat because it tells you what they're likely to do in other environments. But mm-hmm. for, for like what he actually produced, no, he pitches in Miller Park and he pitches for the Brewers with the Brewers defense behind it. That's what he does. So disagree that ERA is the important stat. Give, give it to Corbin. Yeah, I, I think really just the the thing with Corbin is just where he was last year to where he is this year was just so unbelievably different. Like he gave up, I got the numbers, 17 home runs in 49 innings last year. He gave up two, two in 59 innings. This yeah. Year. His home run to fly ball ratio this year was 4.7. That's far <laughs> and away better than anybody else on thing. the team. It's very yep. low, but that's also a stat that tends to fluctuate quite mm-hmm. a bit because home runs are kind of discrete events and you have to have everything kind of come together. And so you'll go on runs where guys just won't quite make the right contact. And so you'll have a run where you're not giving up home runs. And then there'll be a run where even though you make a good pitch, a guy's sitting on it and, and knocks it out of the park and puts a good swing on it. And there's not much you can do about that. So there is a little bit there. I looking at Woodruff's though, Woodruff was at 14.1 home runs per fly ball, which (laughs) or sorry, home runs, uh, home run per, per fly ball percentage, which is yeah. actually a pretty normal number. And he was still mm-hmm. really good with that number being high. So, yep, or, yeah. or more normal. So I think that that kind of portends well for Woodruff that he could be this good, even without that advantage. Right. I, I think the other thing that I believe Paul mentioned last week when we first started like our, in her two weeks ago is that there is, provable data into why Corbin Burns is better. So this isn't something we can look at and see it as an anomaly. We see actual viable changes in the way he pitched and the pitches he used that led to this outcome. Yep. And it, it's a pretty important factor in his future success. So it's definitely a reason to get excited about And James is probably picking the player. Everyone else would pick voting for this team. If you were going by traditional voting standards. Yes. Also, I'm I'm just a mark for Corbin. So you know, I I will using wrestling lingo. Yeah, and a baseball podcast. We're falling into our. There's a lot of there's there's crossover. You know, you had mentioned something, Brad, with Keston Hira a little while ago that actually kind of reminded me of Corbin Burns when you said like we're in a weird spot with Keston where half of his career is excellent and half of it was terrible. It's the same exact situation we were going into this year with Corbin Burns too, and. You know, maybe if if it gives some hope for Keston here in the future, you know, kind of making those notable changes that we talked about, maybe we see something like that next year from Keston here MVP twenty twenty one is what you're telling me. There we go. Let's let's fire up the hashtags. We're good. <laughs> I already all got right. the legend, and no one else will buy into it because they all want to use this stupid out of here pun. He is the legend. <laughs> He's the legend. Yes, absolutely. All right, so we got a lot of Patreon questions to get to, so let's just dive right in. Uh, first, keeping on the pitching theme, Brian Pulakowski is asking, assuming Woodruff and Burns stay at the top of the rotation, which pitcher has the best opportunity to find the right stuff to round out the top of the rotation going forward? I guess, Brad, who's your pick? They, they both already have. <laughs> um, no, no, who's so, going to join them? Who's, who's, who's going to join them? Oh, who's, the who's going to join them? Yes. I, I still think it's Freddie. 
as polarizing as he is, he obviously has the most electric uh, arsenal of the pitchers that are currently at the major league level. Freddie, he has the high strikeout rates. The walk rate is obviously concerning. He needs to find control, but especially the flashes in the pan we've seen in like the winter league where his velo really jumped up and he had a lot of success off of that. I think he was hurt by not being able to go straight into the MLB season after that. I think another round in the pitching lab could be very beneficial for him. But of all the like high tool, exceptional talent, he has stuff that you cannot reproduce in just what his pitching arsenal is. You can't teach what he does, but you can teach control. You can teach uh, fine tuning mechanics to have consistency. It hasn't happened yet, but especially when you look at his FIP and his supporting numbers that evaluate performance versus results. It's something where I think he is the one on track to join that pool. I'm not sure. Everybody's got, (laughs) well, I think I might actually go with the sort of boring safe answer of Brett Anderson. Um, (laughs) He's gone. (laughs) Uh, yeah he's but so i'm not a big Lindblom fan and i do i think freddie has the best stuff of potential additional starters i just think he's probably gonna end up living in the bullpen um he's been very effective there and the way that they use pitchers you know middle middle bullpen pitchers extra inning or multiple inning pitchers like i i think he might just stick there and they're not necessarily giving guys chances to start if they're super effective there and Can, he he also has some some bugs in his starter profile also so i make a small argument against that yeah go the for Brewers it typically haven't been <laughs> this team but they do have him they did extend him this season which generally when you're spending that money the brewers haven't been locked into this which i appreciate but generally when you spend that money on a person even though it's not a lot of money but it's more than you would if you just let them go through the traditional process yeah okay. you generally want to make higher output commitments to that person and we know that a, just because of the amount of innings that a pitcher can get as a starter they can have higher impact on the team in terms of win outcome overall if you look at freddie he had better than a strikeout per nine advantage on Corbin Burns. Freddie's awesome. I agree with that. He was striking out 14.42 to Burns' uh, 13.27. But what really surprised me is I would have said that that Freddie walked a lot more guys. His and uh, Burns' walk rates are almost identical. That's Freddie's just slightly less than a tenth yeah. of, a, uh, of a walk more per nine. So... I think that if you look at Freddie's, like Brad was saying, if you look at his peripherals, they are really, really good. Now, I I do agree with Paul that I think that there's a good chance they just kind of stick with him in the pen in the role that he's been in. But I they probably want to give him one more real shot at the rotation. I think the other thing we have to remember about Freddie is he is so young that yeah. and and they are careful with younger pitchers. I would not be at all surprised if this was a concerted long-term plan to keep him healthy for the long run, as opposed to kind of running him into the ground as a, as a younger pitcher. And this is a good way to protect that. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is 24 years old. If you compare that to the other guys that we were just talking about, they're all much older, even though they've been around basically all the kind of the same amount of time, right? Like Burns and Woodruff and those guys, Woodruff did get a little bit ahead of everybody else, but he was also a kid out of college. Mm-hmm. So it's a very different, a very different timeline there. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm just kind of depressed because I think a year ago, the answer to this question might have been Adrian Hauser, and we saw how that turned out <laughs> this year. Don't I wouldn't give up on him yeah, either. I wouldn't he would either. have been my, my kind of second pick there because I think there is the stuff there. He has to figure out how to get fig- lefties out. The platoon out. thing is just so right. ridiculous. It's such a bad that... platoon split, but th- that's also something you can fix with one pitch. You just need to develop the pitch. Like, right. Like, and like we, we said, give them Devin already, and up and we're fine. <laughs> we've already seen the success of the pitching lab, though. We've seen it in multiple different ways. So we've seen that when you have that specific area of concern, you can go in, they can focus with you on that, and it can lead to positive outcomes. Yep. I, I am definitely not giving up on him. The thing is, I see Hauser as more of a guy who's already good at the things you teach versus having those variables that aren't really teachable that are just come with the talent of the player. So I think he is still going to be a good player. I just don't see him having those, I hate the word, but there's no better word, intangibles. Those <laughs> things that really like, Freddie Peralta does thing, has pitches and that work in a certain way because that's just how he is. Hmm. And Woodruff has those same pitches that work well, but they work especially well because he has the other strong outcomes like good yeah command consistent location so he has those supporting tools that then lead to good outcomes so i don't see him being like a high ceiling type pitcher i see him as being a good pitcher if you fix that one issue but when you're looking at ceiling and outcome i still think freddie has the because he has the pitches that already have electric kind of plus stuff to them if you get the other tools that are below plus up to the same par as Adrian Hauser, he's the better pitcher. Sure. All right. Uh, moving on, we've got our friend Jay Google here talking about, you know, we saw a lot of changes this year, a lot of tinkering with the way baseball is played. He's asking of the rule changes uh, baseball made, whether it's playoffs, roster size, DH, whatever, which ones would you like to keep around or would you tweak them? Maybe runner, he says, maybe the runner on second base after the 12th inning instead of after the ninth, I guess. Ryan, what what are your thoughts? Playoffs go back to the way it was. Yes. Roster size go back to twenty six, which is what it was supposed to be this year. And for obvious reasons, they had to expand it. I have no yeah. argument with with that. Actually, in either case, runner on second base, I I don't hate it. I'm not going to uh, ever say like I prefer it. It's weird. There's some weirdness with it that I don't like as a statistical dork. Like it doesn't. Like what it's do you not do an ERA with the, thing or whatever? Yeah, yeah. yeah like there's exactly. there's weirdness with it. Like that that doesn't count against anybody. Like yeah, like that it just that bothers me. But I think that the biggest thing I would like to see going forward that they did this year is to keep the DH in the NL. I want to see the DH stay. So yeah. that would be my thing. Paul, I would like to get rid of all of the rule changes. I'm fine. <laughs> going back to 26 is fine. I don't care about the DH that much. I've I have seen enough Brewer pitchers get seriously injured in the batting portion of the game that I, I can buy into that. And, you know, the extra hitting is nice, I suppose. I don't like the extra inning thing. I don't even think it worked that well for its stated purpose, which was to get extra inning games over faster. It seemed, it seemed like there were plenty that went on for quite a long time Two, still. Extra innings, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, the, the numbers on it were, it, it did significantly. Did it? Okay. Tur- turns of, yeah, turns okay. out, though, when the league is filled with elite bullpen pitchers who can come in and are used to pitching with guys on base it doesn't necessarily always have the finish the game quicker outcome not always but 
it also led to a number of times where you would have like the team would score one run in the top and then which is more exciting right it, yeah uh, you you had that it's fake more exciting it's, yeah it's yes. more entertaining yes, fake. Uh, <laughs> anyway i don't i don't like gimmick endings in any sport they all drive <laughs> me crazy soccer is the worst example of that that penalty, penalty <laughs> kicks will forever be a stupid way to end games um and baseball should not have their own version of penalty kicks so no i'm against that completely but yeah they're all uh, roster size should just be normal that's fine play the playoffs are obviously just a bastardization of baseball completely and should uh, completely undermine the, the lengthy season of how baseball operates. So yeah, get rid of that too. Right. Do you have any a feeling of going to like a 12 team playoff would be acceptable? Cause that might be what they end up doing is not going to this full 16. It's better thing, but doing, uh, <laughs> Cause <yeah>. it's fewer. <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah. So I think the wild card game has actually been a pretty fun thing to watch. But I I think the four team or the eight team total playoff with four on each side was the best version of the playoffs personally, especially once we got to thirty teams, because I know a lot of traditionalists will say it's the two v two is the best outcome, but I think the four opens the door to some randomness, which then makes the hot team win and then it's fun. But the hot team is generally also a team that performed well during the season. Yep, I would almost rather you go to your conference determines your schedule, but then the conference doesn't actually matter for who makes the playoffs. It's just four best records. And that's that that's different changes than what we're being asked by about by Jay. I think the DH for sure is one I would keep. The other one is the non-restriction on who is on the roster, uh, which was a, you know, part of the 26 fan roster was you could only keep 13 of each or up to 13 of each. So yeah, 13 and 13. So I really like teams just being able to build the roster, how they want to build the roster. If they want a competitive advantage by having more hitters, that's a competitive advantage in a different way. And you have to make those calculated decisions that benefit you. I think that is something that teams should be able to use instead of being forced to fit into and forced to acquire players that, to that, meet that roster limitation or expectation then i for the extra inning rules i i don't mind what jay mentions here which is the runner on second after the game has gone on too long however if it goes past the 12th inning i would rather just end in a tie just (laughs) end in a damn tie don't yep. take Kyle's position that I'm, ties are okay. I'm pro tie yeah. as well. Ties are okay because we know that exhaustive amounts of baseball leads to injuries more so than other sports. I feel because I mean we you especially the way the bullpen works and getting too far into the bullpen if you've been punished for using too much, you are putting people in position to get injured by overusage as a pitcher or by pitching people who shouldn't be pitching. That is an injury bubble antlib games that go over 12 innings are truly few and far between so i'm not saying and all i think a lot of the tie crowd want it to just be tie after nine innings but i don't want to see teams get to the point where players are getting injured due to over usage when we get to 16 17 innings which we see once or twice a year i think that's just too dangerous for baseball and it's healthier if we for the players if we start ending at a tie after 12 i'm Mm -hmm. team tie after 10 play the one extra inning like they do in the in spring training and then after that okay well that's just lame do you Uh, still have a point (laughs) do do you still give a point for an overtime loss (laughs) like soccer or hockey yeah 
I I think the way that that would the way that that would work in the standings would be that a, yeah. a tie would be worth half a win, right? Half a win, half okay. a loss. So, so we spent a lot of time this year talking about fun lawyery things, and and Paul was a great asset with that. Yeah. Um, so we've got another question. Uh, Steve DeRozier is asking. Uh, countdown's on for the collective bargain agreement oh, is set to expire in December of 2021. Paul, we'll just go to you. What positioning behaviors, messaging do you expect from both sides and players this uh, offseason a year ahead of time? Well, ownership's very simple, that the the COVID atmosphere made it difficult to generate revenue this year, that they're going to just drag on um, the the effects of this as long as they can. They'll make projections that say that business won't return to normal for like four or five years. And as a result of that, that... uh, that they're poorer than they otherwise would be. And they will make all representations based on that. I think this is going to be a tricky one because the owners, I think, are going to push really hard for some kind of revenue splits along the lines of what football has, where players are guaranteed X amount of the revenue that comes in. We've talked about this before in baseball. It's just very difficult to do. There's lots of um, subsidiaries and um, semi-owned companies that, that all are incorporated in terms of revenue generation. Things like concessions aren't necessarily a part of the team, but they still generate revenue. Um, and baseball has a huge ability to lie about how much money they make. And they're going to want this more than ever because they'll have a plausible scenario where revenue can be presented to be lower based on COVID. The players are going to say that's all BS. And we, we want to keep the status quo in terms of how that works. We don't want any kind of fake sal- salary cap. And uh, it's going to be a tough one. I, I think this this makes a strike much more likely because of the owners having a plausible scenario where they are poor and the, the players, you know, not wanting to take big hits in terms of what they get paid for obvious reasons as well. I think they're going to be pretty far apart on this. Um, if we do get a quick action on this, I think it'll be a shorter than normal CBA. And that's not good for other reasons as well. So I could see there being a sort of short COVID CBA come about. And uh, th- that's its own thing. But uh, I, th- I think that the, the possibility for a strike is super likely. Um, th- this did not help. This situation made everything worse, including labor negotiations. Yeah, and that's exactly what owners are going to do. And there's going to be probably some justification on it. One thing that is about to happen probably is we're about to get a second baseball team whose books are going to become public. That's true. That's a good point. Forgot about that. Yeah, and it's going to be a big boy. It's in right now. It's the Braves who are kind of like the definition of like a middle market team. They're they're in a, a large market, but they don't necessarily have huge revenues that way. Like it's not. They're not a a baseball hotbed down there in Atlanta, but the Boston Red Sox are. And if they if those books do start to become public and people are able to see in and understand what's going on, that's going to undercut the owner's case somewhat, though. Most of the baseball media has been pretty docile about reporting on (laughs) the, the ins and outs of what we do know from the Braves, because that. You know, it's right there. People can see what they're making and what they're they're doing. And it tells a very different story than the one that uh, MLB wants you to hear that it's it's always a very different story. The Braves always do much better than you would think the Braves would do if what MLB is saying about its revenues and its losses and whatever is actually true. Well, then the Braves are this huge outlier, right? Like, oh, they must just be this massive outlier. They're not a huge outlier. They're, you know, they're they're pretty much right in there with everybody else. So, yeah, it, it's it's shady, but we will probably see some sort of a work stoppage. And that was that was always inevitable, though. Like that was 
that that felt even before COVID became a thing that seemed I'm, like I'm sorry we spent four months talking about contract <laughs> negotiation. I just can't yeah stop. I know I just I, I know he's tapping in the contract negotiation stuff is very interesting I will no, get not. into it at some point <laughs> uh, I not. think it is but that's for a different reason because I I think the minutia and the arguments of labor can be actually pretty interesting and end up having big repert her big waves in terms of who wins that end up impacting more than just themselves. We we did this for four months, guys. Yep. I just I'm burnt. <laughs> We're done. Well, let's not think about it for we have six time months. before. Yeah, we you know, because Lord knows both sides won't even try until a year from now anyway yep. so we're fine okay next question from pj wessels i i believe oh. this is a soccer question i'm told it's pronounced oh. darby so ryan yeah. i i understand you had a rough morning the other day yeah it sucked <laughs> that that game was absolutely terrible and like everton got a point out of it and it was despicable and they should have had two players sent off with red cards and uh the the mysterious uh var overturned in the 92nd minute of a, a winning goal just went away i i can't even i can't even speaking of like spending four months talking on things i can't wait for the return of the bundesliga questions this offseason oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes pj also says he wants to say thanks for keeping the podcast going through the move to 2.0 and the pandemic he says it's a weekly bright spot to look forward to so thank you very much pj for that kind comment there yeah yeah absolutely it's been it's been good on my end too giving me something to do on sunday evenings <laughs> so yeah. to the editing and production of it, it you know it's i've i've gone more granular than i probably would have otherwise except for so. we record on sundays and it's packer season now so that's become slightly problematic with our schedule <laughs> yeah so so we'll try to wrap things up here before yeah <laughs> it's uh, like uh the pastor who respects that you all need to get out of church before noon they're like yeah, okay 11 40 wrap this up exactly yes, especially yeah. if you are me and oh have to yeah. do another podcast on that so oh boy uh yeah so uh okay a few more questions here we'll wrap up darren jones asking um are you disappointed in the lack of information being shared surrounding the instructional league games at least from the brewer's perspective uh he says the mariners have been releasing box scores that include exit velocities and pitchers average fastball speed other teams are allowing short videos to be shared uh, so far, the Brewers, nada. So I guess, Brad, are you annoyed or upset about this? I would say nada. The Wisconsin Timber Rattlers account has actually been very good about sharing uh, results, videos, and all those. But no, I'm not disappointed. As the prospect, the guy who drools about prospects, along with Ryan. I hug prospects. You drool over them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I drool over them. You hug them, Ryan, but it's just, it's not a true game environment, right? Like there's not truly that competitive edge. There's a lot of differences in this where the statistics aren't really real. So the statistics we're getting are nice to have. And there's things that will always be the same. Like spin rates are generally always going to be the same, but there's are it being not a true game environment, them playing against players who they would likely never be facing in this season. Like Mario Feliciano was going to be playing in double A this season. He wasn't going to be going to bat against Eric Lowers. Mm -hmm. So things like that are just very odd where you can't truly read into them and understand the outcome right. based on what they're going into. There's 17 year olds playing in Wisconsin against guys who yeah. leg are legitimate major leaguers. 
So it's very difficult to read into. I think it was a great way to keep development going of some of the top prospects when yep. the safest option was obviously not to run minor league baseball with all the restrictions you would have had to have on 200 teams in uh, 50 different states with a thousand different rules. That's obviously a very difficult thing to come by. But yeah, I'm not really disappointed about the lack of information because I think we had enough coming out. If you follow that Timber Rattlers account, the Brewers account could have been better about pointing us to that mm-hmm. and making sure we saw what was happening there. But at the same time, because of the oddity that was taking place with legitimate Dominican Summer League guys playing against AAA Flinge ML beers, it was just too weird to really rely on any of that information. Yeah. There's an old Dan Jenkins joke about uh, you have a better chance of catching the Soviet Navy on maneuvers than you do of seeing the front nine at Augusta on Sunday on TV because they famously limited the amount of information like they they wanted it to be like this big like reveal like you'd pop on TV and like, oh, look, Jack Nicholas is making a run in 1986 and that sort of thing. The Brewers have basically become like yep. a lockdown organization too, yeah. in terms of letting out information. Yeah, they they do not want information. They didn't share anything ahead of the trade deadline, any of that, right? Nope, they opted out. They opted out of the that data sharing. They uh, we know from having talked to Chris Maring that uh, they told him to not take pictures of the uh, spin rates and velocities and things like exit velocities on the the scoreboard. Yes. Or actually, they took them down. They stopped putting them out there because they were showing up in photos. So they just took it off the scoreboard and made that, you know, they, they basically they yes. they are becoming very secretive. And there's always been some aspect of this. They ran a very secretive ship on draft information to the point where nobody knew what the Brewers were ever doing in the draft. Um, that was especially like in the Jack Z era. But it kind of carried over through into the uh, the Bruce side era as well. Uh, and it's actually less so now on that side of things weirdly but they are very protective of what they have for information and they're not going to give it out lightly so i guess yeah maybe it's a little disappointing but i it's also like they're trying to get a competitive advantage this way and i can i can be okay with them trying to get a competitive advantage this way as opposed to some of the <laughs> other ways that they would want to do it so i was gonna say there, there are probably some other tactics that david stern's picked up in houston that uh maybe hey uh, they uh, no they are innocent of course they are course. <laughs> along with other baseball teams that this definitely wasn't a practice that at least affected 33 percent of the league the team that i root for would never do anything untoward They also would never, ever, ever have a player who used PEDs on them. Nope. Which I believed up until 2011. (laughs) Sure. All right. Uh, One last uh, Patreon question comes from Brian Polakowski again. He's asking, this is a nice one to wrap up on. What's your one shining moment image for the Brew Crew this season? Uh, I guess I, I, I might need some time to think about this, but Ryan, do you have one? The first pitch of the season. (laughs) <laughs> we got to we got the baseball. season yeah we got baseball like honestly yeah, yeah, yeah. I, everything after that was weird and wrong and there was so much awfulness about it like the unpleasantness yeah the unpleasantness <laughs> yeah like all of that that like but just the fact that they were able to start a season and get it going and the brewers were able to play 60 games well 62 with the playoff games uh that in and of itself is kind of a minor miracle and did a lot for my mental health throughout all of this to, to yep, have yep. that as a thing to look forward to. 
Uh, mine would be a screenshot of the 18 to three score against St. Louis because it's always a joy when you're dunking on St. Louis. <laughs> All right, I'll give you the whole montage real quick. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's All mostly. Okay. It's mostly slow motion Devin Williams changeups. It is. <laughs> it is interspersed every fourth or fifth cuts with Dan Vogelbach taking a ball the other way, and Orlando Arcia hitting a home run uh, while the Brewers are behind by eight runs. <laughs> and that's that's the whole montage. That's Every no Orlando Arcia run ever. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Or home uh, run that's ever. Good. During a Brewer no hitter that he breaks up, or during like a shutout where nobody can do anything and he hits a random home run in the eighth. That is his uh, whole career in a nutshell. Wasn't there a triple play this year? That would be in there. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Triple play. There was. Yeah. It was uh, Adrian Hauser got out of the inning with a triple play. And yeah, I was like, why Cardinals. would you bring Adrian Hauser in? I think it was against the Cardinals. It was against the Cardinals. It was, <laughs> was Yachty like, that you... hit into it, which made it even better. So maybe that's... You have, oh, like, well, yeah, so if somebody's going to hit into a triple play, yep. it's Yachty. That's yep. the moment of the year. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> Hudson was coming up and I was like, the hottest left-handed hitter on their damn team. You bring up Adrian Hauser. What's he going to do? Get a triple play? And then Yachty Molina, boom, 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 round the horn. First one since Chris Carter in Miller Park in 2016. He caught the final out, I remember, because I was at that game nice. in a suite. All right. We did get a lot of Twitter questions, though, too, but I feel like we're kind of up against the clock here. So uh, mm-hmm. what we can do is we can, we'll can we save those for next week, and we'll get to those uh, next week. So there's there's a lot of other uh, you know season recap ones and kind of looking ahead to the offseason. So I think that'll be a good jumping off point for us next week. Sounds in good. the meantime, we do have a new patron this uh, week that we want to give a shout-out to. Ryan, who do we have? Well, we already mentioned his name because he was one of the winners of the contest. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay. Really? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Is that yeah. Andrew? Andrew Jasmer. All right. Yeah. Nice work, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So he uh, he got in and, and won that. And yeah, congratulations, Andrew, and welcome to the uh, to the fold. Yeah. Thanks, is that, Andrew. Is that a soft J? I imagine it's a soft J. Yasmer. Yeah. Yasmer. Oh, could be. Yasmer. Yasmer. As I always say, we do we we uh guarantee the shout out. We do not guarantee the correct pronunciation of your name. Quite the opposite. We'll probably hit it when we sit here and spitball it though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Usually we find it at one point. Yeah, but uh thanks Andrew for signing up. Congratulations on winning the t-shirt. And as always, (laughs) we are not above bribing people to become new patrons. So we'll be doing more contests, as Paul said. In fact, uh, sometimes we bring Steve on to yell at you about your mean comments. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Speaking of which, um right now the last Last two reviews, the reviews that show up the last or were two negative reviews to the, the very few negative reviews that we got. Uh, so we could use some positive reviews from people to uh, to help boost things up. If yeah. you could go to iTunes and do that, that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would it, be great. While you're doing that, if you wouldn't mind doing the same thing for reporting as eligible, that would also be appreciated. We uh, uh, I feel like we accumulated some negative reviews during the labor portion of yeah. the show. When this, um, when this became which, a lawyer podcast, it became a lawyer it podcast. A Under, rough, understood. Rough you know, I, I, I get that, but <laughs> could use some some positives on our football and baseball um, knowledge. So please we do get it to the point where review. I couldn't talk about the labor stuff anymore. Yeah. We haven't really <laughs> talked about labor stuff for three months and we brought it out and I'm just like, no, and you're no still <laughs> you're still burnt out. So, yeah. I get it. That was important to talk about. It's still important to talk about, but I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, we appreciate those of you who stuck around through that. And uh, Boy, do we ever. <laughs> thank you to all the folks tuning in now after the fact. Uh, as, as these guys mentioned, don't forget to subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, just about anywhere else. Uh, so please do hit that subscribe button and please do leave a review both for us and, as Paul mentioned, for the Reporting as Eligible podcast. In the meantime, if you have something you want us to talk about, we put out a call for questions every week. We couldn't get to all of them this week. So like I said, we'll we'll hit some of those next week. In the meantime, uh, if you have other questions you want us to talk about, you can follow all of us on Twitter. Ryan is at RDTop. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I am, of course, James L. with a Y. Uh, thank you again for listening to this week's episode. Stay well, and we will see you next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.